What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We have Danny Beinstein on today, which I'm really excited about. She's an intuitive psychologist, astrologer. I mean, she's an amazing meditation teacher. We talk a lot about astrology, a lot about the astrology of Trump. So if you're into this, to know his chart, we get into his chart, which is kind of amazing, knowing the election is coming up, and just kind of what's been going on in 2020 astrologically, and also what to look forward to or not look forward to in the second half. But also, how do you use astrology for you. There's a little bit of a political discussion as far as wellness is concerned um, in the beginning, but we do get into all the juicy astrological stuff after that. But on that note, I wanted to let you guys know we haven't done a Dentox live in a while, but we are going to do it coming back October 24th, 5 p.m. Pacific Coast time. It is virtual, so go to denanywhere.com to get your spot. It's going to be great. It's with Sean Korn. And this is what we were talking about, conspiracy theories and the wellness community, how they overlap, how it's important, what people's responsibilities are, how you can find your information. And like any of our Dentox Live, you're going to hear us discuss and do an interview. And you're going to have your chance to talk to Sean Korn as well, who is amazing. How lucky are we? If you didn't hear her first podcast episode with us, please go back and do that. It was right before her book actually came out. So she was telling us some incredible stories. Um, she's an activist and she's incredible. So go to Dentox Live for that. But meantime, we have Danny here and I love this conversation. She is an East Coaster through and through living in Topanga in LA and just a beautiful soul doing so much incredible work. But her take on astrology is really helpful for what is going on. Um, and again, I kind of love the Trump stuff. That's really fun. So let us know what you think. Go to our Facebook group page. Um, 10 Talks Live podcast. Enjoy. Hey, Danny, where are you right now? Because didn't you move? Weren't you moving? I'm in Topanga. Um, we are planning a temporary move to New Zealand. I mean, God bless you. That's where you <laughs> wanted to go, but we're not. Isn't your boyfriend a citizen or something? Yeah, my partner's a citizen. And they don't, a lot of Kiwis don't actually get married. So they recognize partnership as civil union. Lovely. So, yeah, they're very, very wonderful. But he just, he, I understand. He wants to be with his family and why not? New Zealand's like maybe the most beautiful <laughs> could possibly ever live. It's, oh my God. We t- like, we were literally like, let's just go to Queenstown. And then yeah. they were like, no, we're not having any of you Americans anymore. Totally, totally. I ha- just have to await, there's a special visa. So I was accepted to apply for the visa and it should come in in about a week or so. And then we're swarfed flights are for November 3rd. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
to vote and then you can get out of here. Exactly. Know. Exactly. Praying Biden makes it through and then I want to come back, you know, <laughs> who's going to want to come back. Yeah. Are you voting? Are you, how have you been like, I'm pre- I've, I've been political since I was 12 years old. So, um, I was, I, you know, I was like the teenager reading the op-ed pages, um, of the New York times. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm voting for Biden and I feel very strongly about it in ter- not even in t- terms of policy, just in terms of decency. Me too. How do you feel though in like the wellness community? I have a, I, it's really challenging. And, um, I think the QAnon, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the QAnon, um, phenomenon. And I, you know, it's interesting because it speaks to something that I felt in the wellness community for a long time, which is, um, a lack of responsibility, um, in terms of information that's being put out and the context within which it's being put out. Um, and so I think this is just the most extreme version of that. I am Jewish. I'm seeing a lot of QAnon is covert not so covert anti-Semitism. It's pulled from literally medieval era um, attacks on Jews, you know? So I just, I just think that um, I've been lamenting for a long time, the the lack of kind of intellectual curiosity within the wellness community. It does feel like an easy excuse because I, I have found that it's almost as if there's people in the wellness community who now look down as if, you know, as if you, if you could break up and you can't, but if you break up like ascension or wellness into layers, like, you know, yeah. you're into it, it's yeah. like someone who cares about, let's say politics or what's going on right now, you are automatically kind of considered down on a lower rungs of ascension in some ways. Do right. <laughs> yes. Which is ironic, right? Because that anytime you're working with superiority, you're actually working with inferiority. So, and all great political movements have started in faith, you know? So if you look at, I mean, it's interesting because I, um, part of my collegiate thesis, my college thesis was about looking at Jesus as a political reformer and rebel and looking at the historical context. And so how did your family feel about that? As you know, they, I, I went through a phase where I was like, I'm converting to Catholicism. They were not so into it. Um, <laughs> come full circle on all of that. Um, but, I, you know, I think that there is something, there's something really sad about what I see in the QAnon community is that there actually is no empathy. It's outrage, but it's not actually empathy. And what I, it parallels what I've seen in a, in a kind of faction of the wellness community, which is um, blame the individual for their circumstances. Like you can just rise out of that or you can just, and there's not any empathy for um, mental illness or actually any real understanding of, you know, true mental illness, serious depression, um, you know, there's something about uh, the sensitivity of those who struggle with mental illness or depressive disorders that I feel like is not honored because we live in such a society that is all about achievement. And a lot of the wellness community has then just become about, it's just achievement repackaged, right? And that is not spirituality. About, yeah, absolutely. It's It's not. Sponsors, it's about, yeah, I agree with you 100%. 
and spirituality, you know, if you look at the great spiritual teachers, you know, even of our age, like if you look at, um, uh, like I never pronounce her name right, but, uh, Pema Chodron, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, that kind of philosophy of it, it, it's not about having control. It's about, um, the what isness, right? And in that, it's not that you say, okay, well, you know, our country was founded on these principles that um, some of the principles are incredibly um, beautiful and valiant. And then there's others, there's a dark shadow to that. It doesn't say, oh, we just accept that. That just is what it is. It says, we look at what actually is, and then we build our character from what we do moving forward with that knowledge. So I think, and I think, you know, nervous systems are just overloaded. I think it's a, it's a kind of reaction formation to our society. And I think it's a reaction formation to the elites, whatever that, and the, you know, this always arises throughout history when there is a chasm, um, when there is a wealth divide, always. So, you know, it's related to that as well. And I think it's related to, ironically, scarcity fear it's just manifesting in a way that's like hubris and we know from every story ever told that hubris does not get us anywhere yeah (laughs) anywhere good exactly it is really interesting because you said earlier you were talking about kind of like the lack of intellectual curiosity yeah and and that's blown my mind too because like we were saying it feels like looking at actual facts or and using intellect have become like a code word for being tied to too much earthliness and not spirituality but we're here we're incarnated in bodies with minds and so i'm in my classes i tell people i'm like you i say the exact same thing i'm like you incarnated in a human form so that comes with human issues and it comes with what happens on this earth that's part of the reason you chose it there's a million other things you could have chosen to live throughout or become but it was this and your part and you chose to be here for this time for a reason that's not an accident so exiting yourself completely doesn't mean you have to do it in the way everyone tells you to do it everyone's got to figure out what that means for them and what their role is and what's happening but it's like to exit yourself from it and extricate yourself from it feels like you're bypassing on the lifetime you chose to live. I feel the same way and also the human responsibility. And that doesn't mean that everybody has to be politically active, but to disdain others for their activity or their level of consciousness. And I think, I, I think it just comes down to empathy and compassion and decency. I just think we've lost decency. It's like, um, there's just so much outrage and I, I don't know where we go from here. I really don't. And, and it's, it just seems like there is a, yeah, bypassing of responsibility in the human form. How, how is it with your boyfriend? Because he's from New Zealand. Yeah. Because I feel like obviously what's been happening with the pandemic is global, but it feels like there's something different happening in the U.S. That's, yeah. um, that the pandemic obviously has helped spark, but it's, it's more. So what is it with him? Does he, is it interesting seeing his observations? Well, he's, he's half American. So his mother's American. 
Um, but his, and his mother lives in America, but his dad and his stepmom and his extended family on his dad's side is all there. And actually there is, there is a QAnon issue happening over there as well. Um, not nearly to the extent as it, it is here and, um, their prime minister, I think she's, there's an election coming up and I think she's about 60% likely to, um, she has like about 60% of the vote right now. Um, last time I checked. Um, he, you know, he's never been as political as I am. So he's, he is all, his line of um, reasoning, his thinking is always like, what is the intent of the heart? And he is a student of human behavior. So when we're watching the debate, he notices things from a psychological human behavior. That person is lying. Um, they're uncomfortable. Um, there's a clear cover up, you know, he looks at it from that perspective. Like I'm looking at two human beings and what are the choices that they're making on that stage? Um, which is an interesting perspective. He, uh, yeah. And he, when we got together, it was actually an issue because I've always been very political and he's not, um, or he wasn't. And to see him, you know, buy an anti-Trump hat and, you know, just kind of like, I've never seen him, we've been together almost four years, I've never seen this level of engagement with him. That's what Trump does on either side. Yeah. He, it, he makes you passionate. Yeah. So they're passionate against him or you're passionate for him. It's really yeah. rare someone kind of hangs out in the middle. He incites passion. You got to give him that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I totally, but I'm also, you know, I'm a born and bred New Yorker, like in the city. And I mean, he, he was just seen as a joke my entire childhood. So fun. He's not new, you know. It's like it's just more. It's astounding that he's gotten to where he is. To me, I know, and it's like how much of that is where we were or are as a society, and how much of it is him. Yeah, it's a symptom. It's a reflection of where we are and where our values have gone. And yeah, I just, I, I really, it, there is a kind of it feels like a battle for the soul of America right now. For sure. Because again, it's interesting. It doesn't always, on both sides, doesn't always feel like it's about facts. I find like, you know, yeah. it's all about sides now. And it feels like pick a side and, and dig in and don't you dare move from it. Which is crazy. I mean, I think that's why the Lincoln Project is so fascinating because it's like, I actually really, really enjoy dry policy debate. Like, I think it's really interesting to say, should we have small government? Should we have big government? Um, should we give power to states? Should we give power to the executive branch? Like, I think that kind of conversation is really interesting, but we, we have moved so far from the actual conversation, like legitimate conversation around policy and which policy is most beneficial to this nation to really just like, are, is there a decency or is there an indecency? And the litmus test of the abortion issue, like I just and gay marriage, like I can't believe that the, we're there in 2020. I know. Is it, to me, it's so crazy too the fact that we're still there's still topics up for debate, literally, and like like you said, Roe yeah. v. Wade probably up for you know renegotiation in some ways, which is awful. And gay marriage, I'm like, how is this even still being talked about? Like how? As if yeah. Exactly. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you. Go ahead. As like, as if anybody wants to have an abortion, as if anybody wants to, I mean, wants to get to a place where they have to make that decision. Like the, their argument, that's what they've made it look like. Yeah. 
choice it is really just wants to go out there and kill a bunch of babies like <laughs> it's just again like the empathy the the context and you know they've done all these studies that reading literature like actually increases your empathy in a way that no other medium does and we we don't read as a culture reading any literature any or a specific yeah like, well not you know i don't think junk you know supermarket junk but reading you know literature takes you into the hearts and minds of another soul and it gives you empathy. Yeah, it's knowing their story for sure. And that's so true even in real life. If you actually get to know anyone and hear their actual story, you would, if you went around the country listening to everyone's stories, you'd flip-flop constantly what you would think the best politics are for the country, which I think is what, with what you were saying back to is what makes this place so great. We're a large country that serves many different people who are in different stages of their lives. And that's why it's been interesting to have those debates because at different times, different things serve different people. But you're right. It's not about that anymore. It's not about that. And it's, hey, if I it, think people wouldn't hate Republicans, Democrats so much. It would just be about a choice of how you think big government, small government, how should we do international policy? Like it would just be, yeah. it wouldn't be and so. Yeah. It, that's the thing. It's like become personal. You know, there's this, um, there's this journalist uh, named Chris Arnotti. He started as a bond trader, I believe, on Wall Street, if that's not true. He's, he was on Wall Street. He did very well. And when the crash happened in 2008, he's like, something's not right here. Something's not right. I think he had a, he, he studied physics, undergrad, maybe even went so far as to get a graduate degree in physics. But he started um, going uptown to the Bronx and started photographing uh, different addicts and hearing their story. And he then took that on the road. He then said, you know, I've made enough money. I'm doing what I'm doing. We can downsize. I think his kids were in college. And he's like, I'm going to, this is going to be my mission. He bought a car and he drove cross country and he stopped at all the kind of McDonald's and Denny's and, and really just sat and interviewed. And it's not a traditional journalistic, um, meaning he wasn't under, he didn't, he didn't have to follow certain journalist rules because he was doing his own kind of research. He would photograph them and he'd write about it and he would, um, he would write pieces for the guardian and he wrote a book, uh, called dignity and it's really people's stories. And he really focused primarily on the opioid crisis and what's happening. And it was just around the time that Trump got elected. And so you could kind of see these towns and the decimation of these towns and why there was this belief that Trump could come along and be of service to them. And really his whole work is about giving dignity to people who um, have been left behind, what he calls like back row kids versus front row kids. And I just think we've, we tried right after the election to kind of find that, but Trump is such a divider that we weren't able to kind of come together and look at, hey, like, yes, the coasts are doing well. Yes, the, the stock market is through the roof. Silicon Valley is, you know, making huge gains and that's benefiting the wealthy and the elites and the, you know, if you want to call it that, and the, and the cities. But like, if you look at what's happening in the middle of the country, there's all these beautiful small towns that are popping up, but there's also um, this real lack of hope and and faith and if you if you take away jobs and you take away a person's sense of dignity and purpose you know you're gonna get anger and frustration and depression and it's so sad 
Yeah. And I just feel like we're not having any of those conversations because we've got an, a lunatic literally <laughs> running the country with like no sense of empathy and a horrible businessman to boot. Like, I just don't, I like, yeah. I don't. It, it's, it blows my mind. It, it, trust me, there's plenty of people in my family that are really smart human beings yeah. that can argue why they don't see that. And it, I just, I, yeah. the excuses that are made for him are excuses no one would make for anyone else. And that's what blows my mind. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Excuses. That's my thing. I'm like, you could get away with the first year, maybe if you're saying that was a slip of the tongue, he's not used to this. But like, by year four, when you see so much repetition, you know, that's just who you're dealing with. And it's, it's, yeah, that part's what's sad to me is like what you were saying, the morality of the country, when you've seen the amount of people who just, that stuff doesn't matter, mm -hmm. makes you realize how far we've slipped as who we want to be. Yeah. What we stand for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a four, like I have almost five-year-old next week and it's like, I would never raise her to be like that. Or I would hopefully not raise her to be like that. I should say you don't always, it doesn't always turn out the way you want, but my goal is yeah. to raise her that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I can't, that's what I can't wrap my head around. It's like, this is what, this is what you would want your children to emulate. This is the leader of the free world, so to speak. It's, it's really, it's actually tragic. So talk to me about one thing. We'll jump, this yeah. is like a segue in a strong <laughs> about him because I'm so excited to get into all the juicy stuff. One of the things I'd heard, which I actually did not pick up on this thread at all, which is interesting because I'm usually all on like the astrology. So like, I love yeah. it. But one of the things I heard someone was telling me, especially when he got COVID, they were saying there was a whole school of thought astrologically that when you look into either his sign or the, the, if you look into the chart of either the presidency or him, his term was like not supposed to end. Someone said something like it was a known fact, like his term wouldn't end with him either healthy or a lot or something. And I was like, oh, I had never heard that. So I'm assuming you might have heard it. Which is yeah. So, you know, I don't have his chart in front of me, but I, I believe he's a Gemini sun with a Sag moon. Um, I also um, believe he's having both a North Node return and his second Saturn return. He's approaching his second his third Saturn return. So I have to look at his chart. I don't have it right in front of me, but the, for sure the, the sun in Gemini and the moon in Sagittarius. So we have entered into a series of eclipses in the Gemini Sag axis. We've moved out of the Cancer Capricorn into the Sag Gemini that started June 5th and extends through 2021. The eclipses that we have coming up, especially the one on December 21st is impactful and eclipses tend to accelerate change. Um, so there's that element. And then um, there's a kind of feeling of, if you, I remember looking at his chart and feeling like, oh, he's at the, he's at the mercy of kind of chickens coming home to roost. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, and the feeling of like, he, why don't we do this? Why don't I just pull up his chart? so that I can look at exactly what I'm, and so I'm answering this question correctly and we can just kind of edit out this brief little bit if you feel like it, if not. Or um, not. I'm enjoying it. By the way, for those at home, we're all wearing our blue blockers. And we are. <laughs> inspired by Danny. <laughs> oh, you can't see right now. But we just They make a difference. They totally make a difference. Yeah, I can imagine. But now I'm like, I got to email my doctor to get them in my regular glasses. Okay. Yeah. So he is a Gemini sun with Uranus conjunct his 
his son. That is like the erratic behavior. Um, obviously not every Gemini with Uranus conjunct their son is erratic like this, but at the top of his chart. This is how he's known. He's a disruptor at his core. He's got opposite that. So he was born at a full moon with his moon conjunct Sagittarius, his moon in Sagittarius. And so he has this kind of um, polarity within him, but he's a storyteller, you know? And what's happening is that these eclipses that are coming down the pike are impacting his 10th house of career and his fourth house of home. So there's a shakeup in that regard. On top of that, yes, both his Saturn and Venus are in Cancer. And where they're located, they're, having an, they're experiencing an opposition from Pluto and from Saturn. Most, more closely Saturn, but Pluto is inching its way over there. And that is a, that is a chickens come home to roost energy. All of us are experiencing Pluto, Saturn, and and Jupiter in Capricorn. And this, this what's called a stellium, is, is causing us to take a deeper dive into our choices and look at our lives and our backbone and the structure of our lives. But it's also causing on a global level a breakdown of our social order as we've known it. And any astrologer would have told you that 2020 would have portended this. So he's being impacted that on, by that on a very personal level. So yes, the very end of this term is fraught with astrological, um, astrological events impacting his chart specifically. I don't like to give you know, too much credence also because I have, a, I have an investment in it, right? So anytime I have a personal investment in a, um, in a transit, I can't see it as clearly and like, no one can. Right. You know what I mean? So I that's, if I look at it, I see it ending and <laughs> yes. clear he's out of here. <laughs> yes. And that's, you know, that's what I would hope. But again, I have a personal agenda, but I can tell you that you're already experiencing the chickens coming home to roost. So that is happening. What, what the fallout of that is, we don't know yet, but we already know he has contracted COVID his taxes were released by the New York Times in an investigative report. He just lost another New York ruling around his tax, his tax release. So I love how they say he's going to take it to the Supreme Court, <laughs> basically has appointed everyone. It's like, totally. <laughs> totally. So it's there. It's, you know, there's definitely indication of him being gobsmacked. That's interesting because I hadn't heard that train of thought. Obviously, I'd heard a lot about like 2020, like you said, but yeah. yeah. Hey, anyone would portend this, but if you, when you looked ahead mm-hmm. and nobody can predict exactly what it means, I'm guessing like astrologers are probably like, oh, it's going to be a shaky year, but could anyone have really, did anyone really think it would be like this to this extreme? Well, I, I kept saying that it was reminiscent in many ways of the French revolution, the American revolution and the French revolution kind of combined, um, because how I saw it was a global financial reckoning. So I, I couldn't have seen a pandemic, um, or I didn't see a pandemic, but what I did see was that there was going to be a global financial breakdown. It's so crazy. And it's interesting. And then when you look at kind of, have you looked at like the US chart, like separate from the US at all? 
So what's interesting is, so Pluto is in Capricorn. Pluto takes 248 years to go around the Zodiac. And the last time Pluto was in Capricorn was the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Amazing. So we are undergoing like a Pluto return. And then the second thing that's happening, this is not America, but this is global. And it had, it impacted America was that we're in the Saturn return of the fall of the Berlin wall. So we're, yeah. I was going to say, so explain to people the significance of Pluto and the significance of Saturn. So they're both outer planets. Um, Pluto's been demoted as a planet, but in astrology, it's actually the most impactful planet because it deals with death and rebirth, um, destruction and disruption to birth anew, transformation at the deepest level and power dynamics. And then Saturn, which takes about 28 and a half years to go around the Zodiac, is all about... Um, structure, order, karma, lessons, maturation, responsibility, limitations. So they met up on January 12th of this year in Capricorn. And that's what everybody was referring to to 2020 being a game-changing year um, because that energy is incredibly uh, disruptive. And, you know, in something years to go around how long does it hang out in capricorn for a long time then well every it so it depends on the sign but we're looking at it um it entered in 20 2008 and it's leaving in 2024 for capricorn mm-hmm. with some brief interludes on entered in 2008 yeah which was the, the crash. crash exactly exactly so it's having our way with us and people who have capricorn cancer heavily featured in the chart have certainly felt it. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're in the midst of a reckoning and we don't know how it's going to go. That's up to us, you know, as individuals, but the collective energy is there and you can see, you can see the fervor feels revolutionary. Yes, it does. It's different. People are, like we said, there's a passion that's been ignited. That's very different than it has been in the past, I think. But it's so, again, going back to this idea of like the Lincoln Project or even like Joe Walsh, who briefly ran against Trump and like is a former congressman and like very conservative libertarian, has like come out for Biden, even though their their political beliefs are radically different. And he was a former Tea Partier. So you're seeing people go, wait a second what is actually, what is our nation actually about? If we lose our, if we lose even the ideal of decency, you know, what do we become? It is, you're right. It is interesting. People whose political beliefs are polar opposite are willing to know this is not about the politics right now. It is about decency. Sorry for the interruption, but just a reminder that we are bringing back Den Talks Live, our first one since quarantine began. Um, So it's not in a room because we can't get together. It's not at the Den, but we are doing it virtually. And we have Sean Korn for this. And we're going to be talking about spirituality and conspiracy theories, how they overlap. This is October 24th. So go get your tickets. Go to denanywhere.com and grab your spot. And like I said, like any time we've done these, you still have an open conversation, a chance for Q&A. So any of your thoughts on conspiracy theories, um, QAnon, whatever your thoughts are, whatever you're thinking, how you're being influenced or not influenced, what your reactions are, bring it to the table. We want to discuss this is what it's about. It's just understanding where information comes from, how it gets changed, and what the responsibility is of the wellness community and why is the wellness community shifting so much and kind of having this kind of 
fissure in the middle of it. So there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about and hope you guys are there and join us again October 24th. So do you have, how do you see like in the chart? Cause now we're six months in. So I feel like a lot of times when people spoke about this stuff, it was in the beginning. It was everything you were right. saying. Disruptive. It's, you know, we're changing our structure. We have to, in a perfect world, we're moving kind of more into Aquarius, which is more about community, more about doing things um, for the people. And, and in general, as a bigger whole, we're going from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age. And we're in the middle of that too, which is, you know, more about the heart and compassion. So where do you see the second half of 2020 heading into 2021? So the second half of 2020 is in some ways a, um, a review of the first half in the sense that Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto were all retrograde. And then September 12th, Jupiter went direct, September 28th, Saturn went direct, and October 4th, Pluto went direct. So now we're retracing our steps, which is why... I had been saying that I think there's going to be a second wave in October and November because we're retracing our steps, right? On top of that, this has been a year of just heavy retrogrades. So Venus was retrograde from May 13th to June 25th. And Venus is our likes, what we're attracted to, what we value. Um, and now Mars is retrograde. Mars went retrograde on September 9th and it, it's retrograde all the way until November 13th. And Mars is our drive, our tactics, going after what we want, it's an Aries. That's that anger. So a lot of our deep-seated anger, you're an Aries, is coming up and bubbling up from the surface. Now, the real thing is that uh, Mars in Aries is squaring all of this Capricorn energy. So we're up against, we're up against something. Everyone's feeling it in some way, shape, or form in their life. There's something that's a holding pattern. They can see the future coming, um, but they feel like they're in a holding pattern. That's going to start to separate. And then at the end of the year, we're looking at, um, you're right, Aquarius. So both Saturn and then Jupiter, and Jupiter is expansion, growth. It's kind of like a complement to Saturn. Both of them will be in Aquarius and they'll meet in Aquarius um, on December 21st. That, yeah. That's the eclipse too, right? No. So the eclipses are November 30th and December 14th. So we're really looking at mid-November because Mercury is retrograde October 13th to November 3rd, literally election day. So vote early and make sure you sign your ballot if you're sending it in. Make sure, you know, just double, triple, quadruple check. Um, so we're really looking at mid-November for the waters to calm um, and then we have an eclipse November 30th and we have eclipse December 14th and then come Christmas, we're in new territory. And by new territory, what do you? Energetically. So we, there's a lot of monotony. We've been feeling like each of us has felt in some way we've been holding something or carrying a very heavy load. And in many ways, no matter how the election pans out in our personal lives, we're going to have to cut our losses. And it's not something people like to hear, but it's kind of like, okay, this is what I have moving forward. Now, the benefit of that is you're free. Well, I, yeah, I, I say this a lot too, what feels like for me this year on the individual level. So not like, again, right. this can be awful for so many people and there's horrible things happening, especially globally, but individually, yeah, feels as if like the universe is basically saying, all right, guys, 
you need to move up. We all need mm-hmm. up here. And this is going to be awesome because I'm going to give you a chance to really know what it is you need in order to make that movement. So you just got to listen. You might not yeah. like what you hear, but like if you sit back for a second and actually listen, I'm going to whisper it really loud and clear. Um, so just listen. And then yeah. if you're to ride it, I will do everything in my power to support you and make it all happen. So, which is why I do feel like a lot of people are moving and shifting. Major moves. My clients, almost everyone feels like they're moving across country or leaving the country or it's crazy. Not crazy bad, just incredible. I do find I've seen and I have felt with people I know and even love where I feel people are the most unhappy during this time. And by the way, again, Mm -hmm. I know people are losing jobs. I know money is a struggle. It's a different layer than that, though, um, are ones that are just hearing stuff, whatever mm-hmm. it's, I want to move, or I need to be changing this, or I really want to, I have, whatever it is, they're hearing yeah. something that feels different, but are making the million dollar excuses of why that's not what they do. And they're holding on for kind of everything to go back so that it, you know what I mean? It's like making the excuses of, well, I need these things, which are all things from 2019, let's yes. say. Yes. Yep. Um, and it's resistance. Yes, it's fear and resistance that this idea, this whisper makes no fucking sense. Um, but I do, I really, I've seen too many shifts, like you've just said, where it does feel like, and I'm going through them myself, that it does feel like sometimes they're crazy, but if you go with it, it's crazy how many things actually happen to support it in a very quick amount of time. I don't know. I feel like we're being given kind of like keys to like an accelerator if you're willing to jump on that ride. And I think this goes back to like the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So people, if they are, if they don't have food on the table, you're not in a mindset to think like this, right? So this is, this is a certain level um, of financial stability and security, even if you've lost your job, but, but you're in, let's say a market where you know, you're going to get another job versus your coal miner. Yeah. Right. And that, that job is just not coming back. Right. So in terms of that, I 100% feel that. I see it. I see it with my clients. Um, and so it's really, are you, willing, are you willing to jump and experience the new? And what is the attachment? And that's like anything, right? It's like our attachment to an outcome is what prevents the magic from emerging. It's like we, what we're craving, what we think we're craving is security, but what we're deeply craving is usually belonging, um, you know, a sense of safety, overall safety, um, connection, love, but also freedom. So it's ironic because we chain ourselves to these golden handcuffs or these ways that like, it has to be like this and this is security, but really we're trapping our souls when we live like that, when we're not living from the inside. Out. And I think it's like a forgetting and remembering, forgetting and remembering if we're on the kind of conscious path. So how do you feel like astrology can help people with that trust? So great question, because a lot of times, the, you know, like the one question I get is, but is that bad? But is that bad? <laughs> is, that, is that eclipse bad? Is that transit bad? And it's like, well, really what that says is there's catastrophic thinking because nothing in nature stays static right? Everything is dynamic and moving and shifting, even if it's very subtle. And so what that says is, I, I can't, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And usually that means you're holding your life together very, very tightly. 
Whereas if you hold it, you know, loosely in your palm, you'll hear that whisper and things will flow more and a transit won't be something to be feared, but something to say, oh, this is a lesson that's showing up or this is an opportunity. That's exciting. That means I'm alive. That means I'm living, you know? So I think it's everything's in the perspective. And then it's like, you know, I think... I tend to be a believer of the kind of ancient Greek philosophy around fate and free will, which is that there are certain soul contracts that we have that were meant to play out, but we do have free will, you know, and it's a kind of balance between the two, you know, it's harmonization, I should say, you know, and I agree with that. It's someone, I think it was Gall on here said it once about that, which I loved, which was, it's like you can give the same script to a million actors. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know where it's supposed to start and end. And like, so that's what you sign up for is like, yes, there's certain points I have to hit in my life yeah. hit that I've contracted, but how I live it in between, like is a whole different way. And you can get that actor who reads the whole thing. <laughs> totally. And then you can get the actor who just knows how to embrace the moments and the turns. And like, it's like, there's a million different ways that that life can turn out by free will and kind of like how you play it and how you choose. I think that's such a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. Cause it's like, it can be the comedy version. It can be the version. It can <laughs> totally, be the version. Totally, totally. And which I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. You're right. There's like a million ways. Like someone could watch that movie and be bawling their eyes out. Someone could be laughing the whole time, like just depending. But um, I liked what you said because there is such a, negativity wrapped up around like retrogrades I find a uh, lot yeah which is interesting because can't some really interesting things happen to you on a personal level during retrogrades if you embrace it that way 100 percent. it's guess- like you can hear the whispers and some and listen a third of the population is born with mercury retrograde in their chart so it's like you know the way that you perceive the world um can can open up And I think that that is, again, we're so afraid of, oh no, is that bad? Is that bad? Instead of, oh, I'm curious about that experience. I teach that a lot in my classes where I'm like, I say that. I'm like, you got to shift a perspective. Like you usually feel things physically in your body that kind Mm -hmm. of let you know things are changing. So whether discomfort because you're in a new shift, like a new growth pattern and like that beginning period is always can be a really uncomfortable position because yeah. you, a lot of times if you're really in the beginning and you're, and you're in sync, you have no clue where you're going. You just mm-hmm. know it's changing and you're like, what does this mean? What do I have to do? Like, I feel like I need to be doing something new, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And locked in again, like you said, to the negativity that we can become very fearful because you know, something's shifting. You don't feel like you, and you have no answers at that point because you're in the beginning. And I always tell people, you now, like, we know what this is. You know it's a growth period. You know the answers are going to come eventually. So once you feel that little tinge of, like, anxiety or that, oh, my God, like, let's change the perspective on it and just sit in being, like, unknown for a little bit and sit comfortable a little bit because you know that because you're going to keep your eyes open, you might do a little research, whatever's bothering you, and the answers will slowly start coming in and you'll know which ones are right. You just do. It's like you kind of experimental. I would say it's like playing I was yes, like, 100%. Yeah, like once you get like a weird idea or you know you need to do something, I'm like, just play because the more you play and you look into things, it starts to roll. Like you start the ball and then the answers start coming. And before you know it, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be five months. You, depending on where you are, 
it starts to come. So like, as, if you remember, you're going to get to an amazing place, switch the perspective when that kind of discomfort starts and remember that that's like, it's like riding the roller coaster. You only ride them if you like them for that discomfort. <laughs> Those of us who like roller coasters do it for that feeling. It's like yeah. the same idea. It's like, just be okay with that feeling, knowing it's going to give you something great later. Yeah. And I think that's, again, like engaging and dancing with the mystery. Mm-hmm. you know and letting uh, it's it's softening into our own unfolding and our own becoming as opposed to like wrangling it making it happen you know and i think we're just a very externally focused culture so we we look outside but actually if we get quiet right and meditate it's like that answer emerges from within any any you know hit that I've gotten to make a major move has come from stillness. It's not come from busyness. It has come from really listening to what's, what's trying to make its way into my consciousness. What things have you like looked at your chart that you see coming up like transits or something? And then what the action was that ended up happening actually like surprises you or you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. So that's interesting, right? Um, I've been having eclipses on my ascendant and on my moon. And I, um, because I have my moon in my seventh house. And so that's about identity and also partnership and relationship. And, um, and the moon is motherhood or family. Um, I'm not a mother. And that's something that um, we've been talking about. And, and you know, where I am, where I thought I was going to be three years ago when I looked at those transits, which is pregnant or have a child, is not where I am. But it makes sense looking backwards why that is for me and what actually is trying to weave its way into my consciousness. And I had been stuck on an idea, but actually for my own personal unfolding, um, I'm in a very different place around all of that. And it's just very interesting because I had been very attached to it. And really what's coming up is the idea of um, how I relate to home. The moon is home um, and partnership. And there's been this really beautiful shift in my relationship around my own, I'm not going to speak for him, but like my own healing around how I approach relationship, you know, my experience of relationship as relates to my identity. And it's subtler. Let's just put it that way. I thought it was going to be louder. I thought the eclipses would have been louder, but they're subtler. They were subtler for me, but no less impactful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Well, and I think that's an interesting topic too. People kind of, especially I think, things have gotten very popular, like full moon, full moon. Yes. Do you find that some people put, and by the way, I think they're so important. So what I'm mm-hmm. about is not taking away the import of that, but do you feel like some people put so much into it? They're expecting like grand miracles around some of these things. Do you know I what I mean? do. I do. And I found that the work can actually be more impactful when it's subtle. And when we say, how do I want to show up on the inside? Like what is shifting on the inside? And then the outer reality shifts to meet that you know but i think we do we it 
we put, we have a consumerist approach to new influence. Yeah, that's interesting. Talk about that too. I mean, you've been in the business for a while, been a meditation teacher, a spiritual teacher. Like when you see people who are just super committed Mm -hmm. and everything, like you said, the moon circles, Mm -hmm. the consumerism version, talk about how they may not be getting the results they might be looking for. Well, if you're focused on the outside or the external result, um, more so than your internal experience, you're going to continue to create the internal experience that you're attached to. So for example, um, if popular one, um, single looking for partnership, right? So there can actually be an attachment to the yearning for the partnership rather than the focus internally of opening up to letting someone in. So I think, you know, when we see, again, there's another way that consumerism shows up. When we seek partnership, right? It's like tall, dark, handsome, you know, as an example, instead of how do I want to feel in the partnership? And very often we can be so attached to wanting that perfect thing that we miss up, uh, we miss out on the learnings of dating or relationships that may show up that may just be guiding us to that deeper relationship. Like there's a focus on, it's going to bring me the one instead of, oh, I have a subtle shift around that. I started dating and then I realized, you know, I thought I was kind of, I wanted someone like this, but actually what I'm realizing is I need someone who's more emotionally available. And we let, we, if we let the new and full moons, for example, build on themselves and we, we take each one as a kind of learning as our unfolding, there's a settling into ourselves in a deeper peace with divine timing versus, no, it's got to happen on that full moon. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Do you find, do a lot of people come to you for, with their chart also kind of wanting to manifest? Um, less so. More people are coming to me. It happens, but mostly people are coming to me because they're curious about their own makeup. They're all curious about their own energetic makeup and they're curious about what's coming down the pike, what lessons are present. Um, sometimes people come to me because they're experiencing a challenge. 90% of the time people come to me because Saturn is moving into their fourth house. They don't know that, but that is because that is a kind of um, structural uh, reboot. And it is a time when we're called inward into ourselves to lay a new foundation. And it happens once every 20 or so years. And that's because the fourth house is what? Home. Home. Roots. Family. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. So that's a, that's a huge reason why people come to me similarly Saturn on their moon or transit to their moon because there's an emotional need. Um, so people do come to me for, for manifestation. And I think the, the key is always to get out of your own way and to let go of the attachment of it looking a certain way or being a certain way. Because anyone will tell you that people at a friend, she was like, all she wanted was a house. All she wanted was a house. All she wanted, she got the house. And then she's like, I don't know. Did I really need this? <laughs> and you're like, oh, you want yeah, it ha- but it happens, right? It's like, we get so attached to that thing and then we get that thing and then we go, eh. Is- what happens if you're, because you were saying people come to you and they don't realize it, but Saturn's about to transit into their fourth house. Yeah. What if someone's natal chart, they were born with Saturn in the fourth house? That just means that the, um, they're having a Saturn return on top of Saturn moving into their fourth house. 
Um, personality does it like it, it usually indicates that the upbringing was harsh in some way or that there was some kind of limit or lack of nurturing or strong discipline or focus on achievement or it was strict in some way it's usually what's indicated so interesting i love how much you can tell from a chart it's so fascinating it's wild it's really wild like really wild. So when did you, what I love, tell me a little bit about you. So you're a kid reading the op-ed pages. You're clearly <laughs> like very analytical and yeah. you brain a lot. So when did like, not that, I mean, actually astrology is very scientific too, which I don't think everyone always realizes, yeah. but like, what was the transition for you to even get into it? Um, in college, I stumbled into the bookstore and um, stumbled onto the big book of birthdays. The, this is a big blue book, right? That's and I was like, what the, f like, how does this know me? I don't understand. Um, and so that started a deep dive. And I just, you know, the way I described it, I took French starting in fourth grade all the way through freshman year of college. I can say maybe five sentences, right. you know, but astrology was a language I knew. It's like, I just absorbed it. It just made sense to me. And the only math I was ever good at was geometry. I was excellent at geometry, but I really was challenged in, you know, algebra. It just didn't come easily to me the way, um, the way geometry did. Um, and so it just kind of made sense. And I just did it on the side. And my first job out of college, I was working at Scholastic. And my boss there was really into astrology. Oh. And that kind, of, that kind of started it. And I then kept encountering people who were older than I was and more knowledgeable or practicing. And it just kept being these green lights. And it started to show up when I was 19, which is the, um, the first North Node return. And the North Node return is all about tapping into your calling. So this, the hints were there, you know? And I just finally surrendered to it because I really, I thought about law school. My philosophy professors in college were like, you need to go to law school. This is like, you're clearly on this track. And I think I probably would have been a good lawyer, but I'm better at what I do than I would have been at that. I can't really know that, you know, but that's my, it's like, there are, there are many, many, many brilliant lawyers out there. There are this is an area where I feel like I can actually contribute in, in a unique way and be of service in a unique way. Is the North Node return every 19 years? Is that what you said? No, it's the first is like, well, kind of, yeah. So it's 19 and then, yeah, 37. So yeah, about every 19 years. That's so interesting. So at 37, 38, is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so funny. That's like around when I started the den. Yeah, so we feel, call we feel called into our, um, into our becoming. So interesting. It's wild how it's in there, right? Yeah, yeah. I always love kind of going back. It's, it's, I love going back. Um, and because you're, that's sometimes how you learn the most, right? Is like you go back and then you're like, oh, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah. Um, and I think that I also learned by just, I just pulled everyone's chart and I pulled famous people's charts and I just, you know, I learned that way. But the hardest one to read is my own. I'm sure. Because I have expectations or I have, you know, so I, I pretty much don't. But, but I'll, then I'll look at things and I'll go, oh, right. I have that signature. 
why did I think that that was not going to be significant in my life's unfolding? Like the fact that I have not lived a traditional life. And that's something that I've, you know, thought a lot about in my life. Cause I came from, I'm parents are, you know, eccentric, but I come from a pretty traditional background. Where are you from? I'm from New York city. Um, you know, my dad was the breadwinner. My mom was the homemaker. Um, there was trauma and there was, there was certainly stuff, but by and large, the, it was traditional in that way. And I've taken such an, you know, unique path. And so I've been like, but why, but why? But then it's in there. It's totally in my chart. How is it in your chart? Like what are, what are so the- in the, in the fifth house, which is your self-expression in the world kind of um, can be seen as similarly to the sun. Uh, I've got Scorpio. So there's an intensity there, which I'm intense. I've gotten a lot less intense, I think, as I've gotten older and I've found my thing and my calling. But I have Uranus in Scorpio, which is exalted there. So it has a lot of energy conjunct Mars, which is drive. And so it's like that part of me, that's got, it's kind of like got a rebellion, a rebellious kick. And I, um, like, I actually love to debate because I love to take the contrarian view. Like I said, like if I'm, if I'm with a bunch of Democrats, I like to have the conversation. Well, what about limited government? Let's talk about that. Right. So that's in there. Um, and you know, the fifth house is also dating and it's creative self-expression. So, and that's very, very, very strong willed energy. So that would indicate. And then I've got, um, my son is sandwiched between Saturn and Jupiter. So there's a bit of a teacher and also a traveler because traveling is my favorite thing in the world. I mean, my, my partner jokes, he's like, oh yeah, when I turn over and I wake up in the morning, what's Danny doing? She's like researching places to travel and hotels. And like, it's like my second job. But your son, you said, is in between Saturn and Jupiter? Yeah. In what house? So in the third house. So teacher, communicator, right. um, speaker. Uh, and so I'm not, I'm a Virgo, but I'm not a typical Virgo in that way. I'm less shy or behind the scenes, even though I still have that. Right. But Virgo's art can be teachers, right? And very, and wellness especially, right? And healers. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And then my midheaven, which is my career point is in Pisces, which is the healer or the filmmaker or the painter. I am not a painter. <laughs> I love paintings. I love, I love art and I studied art and um, not fine art, but art history. And you also, you're a spiritual psychologist. So yeah. Talk about that. Like, what does that mean exactly? So it's basically, you know, it's less clinical, right? So I'm not I'm not looking at the DSM or diagnosing people. It's more looking at the soul having a human experience and looking at it through the lens of, you know, what is the soul here to yearn? What is the soul yearning for? What is it here for? Um, And through the lens of forgiveness, forgiveness of self, forgiveness of other, you know. And how often do you find like a session or when someone works with you, you're doing all the things at once? I am. Like I just, I'm pulling it all. What I don't do every session, but which I find deeply meaningful are inner child healing experiences. We go back and we reparent the inner child. For me, that's been the most healing tool I've ever used. Um, that coupled with meditation, it's a kind of meditation. You know? Yeah. 
It's all amazing. Can you talk about a little bit before I do our four U's and I let yeah. you go? Okay. Um, what advice can you give people during this time, especially seeing what's going on of just navigating the loss that's happening and the restructuring that's mm-hmm. happening, the beauty that's also happening and the opportunity? Number one thing is calming the nervous system and activating the parasympathetic nervous system. I feel like that's the number one thing we can be doing now because we're, it's so hard to not be amped up, right? We're having things thrown at us constantly. So I feel like if we can just calm our nervous system, you know, it's just, so meditation, yin yoga, restorative yoga, craniosacral, which I don't understand how that is so powerful, but it is so, so powerful. It's just incredible. Flower essences, you know, anything to help um, calm the nervous system. Baths, putting the feet in in the earth. Yeah. Because then you can make decisions. Don't you feel like if your nervous system is calm, you're not reactive, you're responding. And then you're saying, okay, well, what's really trying to make its way? And then that's like where the juice is and the joy is and the beauty and the like laughter and the lightheartedness. I do think it's fascinating how everybody almost across the board, I mean, I'll never say everybody, but pretty much anyone I've spoken to, no matter what their personality normally is, everyone's craving nature. Everybody's craving nature. It's why everyone's fleeing New York City and moving the Catskills, you know, or like... Everyone's like fleeing Manhattan and moving to the Catskills or you. We're looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's calmer, you know? It's just beautiful. You're just surrounded by trees and water. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, but everyone, like people I know who are like just such city bubs are literally like, I'm in Zion. I'm taking this. <laughs> Bryce, Zion, like everyone's taking every West Coaster is like somewhere in the parks. And some people do that anyway, but there's a lot of people who that's not normally their thing. And that's what I find fascinating. People are clearly feeling that call. That they, yeah. That they might not realize it, but that's like their subconscious telling them this is how you're going to get the answers. I think that's true. I mean, Shakespeare, there's a Shakespearean theory about the green world and the Elizabethan world, which is like all of the characters go into the green world, into nature, in order for them to gain clarity or kind of... Um, learn about their path or where they're supposed to be or, and then they return to the Elizabethan world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So- Dart Williams, the folk singer has a, has an album called the green world. That's based on that theory. It's like, bye, I'll be back. Let me go get my answers and then I'll come back and execute. <laughs> it's like, it's how, it's how it works itself out in his, in his plays. God, he was so brilliant. It's insane. When you think about it, like really did, delineate kind of life. <laughs> it's, crazy. it's crazy. Yeah. He was tapping into something else. That's for sure. Let's do your four years and then okay. we're going to your personal practice, which is a uh, heart meditation, right? Yeah. yeah. Just dropping down into the heart, calming the nervous system. And the nervous- <laughs> I love it. So tell me, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? First thing. You know, I usually honestly go over my dreams because I have really vivid dreams and I just kind of sit there and I go, well, what, what is that dream about? What is that trying to tell me? Um, and then I wake up and I have my morning tea. It's not overly ritualized, but I have a morning tea. How, like, how do you, every day you remember your dreams? Pretty much, pretty much. I have a really, really vivid dream life. And then I read, usually read long form journalism when I first wake up. 
Cause it's so interesting. Cause like, I, I feel like I dream a lot. And then literally the minute I wake up, <laughs> struggle recalling it. There's times in my dream, I'll say to myself, oh, this is good. And you're remembering it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm like, and then I'll repeat what's happened so far in my head in the dream, just to make sure I'm getting all of it. Like, don't forget that part. Hey, you've got it. Great. And then I wake up and I'm like, <sighs> and it's like gone. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, I'm having this whole conversation even while I'm dreaming about like, you got to remember it. You're going to remember it. This is important stuff to remember. <laughs> and then I don't know why I wake up and I'm like, what was that? And maybe I can like grab a nugget, but a lot of times it like just goes, it's fascinating. But maybe you're not meant to, maybe it's actually working itself out in your subconscious. Yeah, maybe, but it is interesting. Cause I will, like, sometimes I'll set the intention before I go to sleep. Like, let's remember your dream. And that, those are the ones that usually <laughs> while I'm dreaming, I'm like, I'm remembering it. <laughs> And then sure enough, it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. It's like, it does not want me to remember. It's so funny. Um, what's one thing you cannot live without? Oh my God. Um, that's books. I love to read. Do you also like to be surrounded by, but do you hold on to your books or do you give I've books? gotten so much better. I've gotten so much better because I like to share books. So I just give them to friends now. I read this, read this. Um, but I have to have a copy of, copy of East of Eden. That's my favorite novel. That's just the one that you have to have? Yeah. Um, but I've gotten really good at not, at not keeping them. But I can't read on a Kindle or an t- iPad. Like I have to have a book. Me too. I, went, I did it for a little bit in 2010. I remember I loaded up my Kindle. I was away, which is great because when I travel, to be able to read like 10 books. So it's like <laughs> carrying 10 books sucks. Yes. And then I like to hold on to them too. So then I'm carrying back 10 books. Yes. <laughs> but the Kindle was great. I was like, great. And I whipped through it, but I, it lost me. I, it probably had me for a couple of years. And you know what it is? It's when the Kindle went away and it all became the iPad. Even if you do Kindle on the iPad, it, there's something about the glare that's changed that like now I'm yeah. like, I just carry a book. I love a book. And I love the smell of a book. I love the oh. weight love knowing the weight of what's in your hand, how far you are in it. Oh, all of it. So it's, a, it's actually a sensual experience. People don't realize that, but reading is a sensual experience. I read, I read like the New Yorker and the Atlantic and the Economist. I'll read that on an iPad or on a computer. But I, it, if I'm reading a novel, it has to be. First thing, I always open, I sniff oh. it. I just love that smell. I know. Okay, so then what is, so we'll go to question three. What is your most influential book as far as your career, like in maybe astrology or meditation, what book do you feel like changed you the most as far as how you look at things? Oh, that's interesting. It's not going to be a, the book that had the biggest impact on me was a book called The Alphabet Versus the Goddess by Leonard Schlein that my college professor uh, put me on to. He was a neurosurgeon, Leonard Schlein, um, in San Francisco, ironically, I think he passed from a brain tumor, but he was a brilliant um, writer as well. And he wrote a series of books and um, he wrote this book called Alphabet Versus the Goddess, which was looking at how as each culture moved from right brain to left brain, they patriarchy ensued. And he literally charts history through that lens. And that actually was the beginning in a way of a spiritual awakening because it was looking at the right brain versus the left brain and what happens when we move out of intuition, you know, in ideal worlds, we have a balance of both. And Leonardo da Vinci did have a balance of both. And I think when he was dying, Leonard Schlein was working on a book on that. Um, 
but that was actually the most influential book for me in my life um, in terms of opening that up. And then I find, um, I find that literature actually does inform my work the most because it gets me into that place of inner stillness. So usually anything about, um, you know, family dynamics or interpersonal relationships, uh, but East of Eden is my favorite book. And then the, another, I mean, it's, you'll be sobbing in fetal position, but Hanya Yangahara is a little life. It's like mm-hmm. one of the most incredible novels I've ever read. Oh my God, I love this. These are great recommendations. <laughs> If there was one moment in your life that, I mean, you would never go back and change, but a moment you remember that fear held you back, but mm-hmm. you eventually got over it, what was it? Well, so during 9-11, I was studying abroad in Florence, Italy, and I was set for second semester to go to London. I love London. And... I was very attached to my best friend and she was not going to London and 9-11 happened and I canceled going to London and I went back to New York City and I ended up stumbling upon this cafe in the East Village that changed my life that semester that I was home. Incredible. I mean, it was like like 1920s Paris, the amount of creative talent that I was surrounded by and, and really did change my perspective on the world. But I think a lot about that sliding door moment. And I've thought about it a lot, especially as I've just turned 40, what would have happened had I gone to London that second semester? Um, so it's not, it, it was my attachment to my best friend and my attachment to New York that sent me back to New York. Um, so I guess it was fear. And I, I just, I don't have an answer. It happened as it happened, but I have, I will live in London one day. <laughs> and I do, I just, yeah, there's a, there's a big sliding door moment there. I love London too. Oh. Yeah, I love it. Um, well, this is amazing. Thank you. You've oh. given so much. I mean, there's like, we covered a lot. I mean, seriously. And I love, I mean, I love picking the astrological brain, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh my God. It's such a, it's such an honor and a privilege to be on this podcast. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And I can't wait for you to do your personal practice. You guys hang on because she's going to do, lead us in a short heart meditation to bring us back in there and work on our nervous system. Which and we work do. on our nervous system. Exactly. So now Danny's going to lead us in a short heart meditation. So just find a comfortable seated position, closing the eyes. Relaxing the cheeks. Loosening the jaw, the muscles in the neck. Maybe moving it from side to side. And just softening all the micro muscles in the face. Allowing anything that doesn't serve to melt away. Just starting to slow down the breath. Breathing deep into the belly allowing the belly to hang out. 
Just dropping down into the heart space. Noticing the mind, if it's active or quiet. Noticing any sensations in the body. Breathing into them. As we center our awareness in the heart. I'm just calling to mind a loved one, a pet, a place that makes your heart sing. Feeling the heart space expand. Maybe bringing a smile to the face if that feels right. Feeling into your own loving nature. As we breathe in and out and in and out. Just centering in the heart, returning to the heart again and again. Letting anything else that doesn't serve in this moment to melt away. Gently wiggling the fingers, wiggling the toes, and opening the eyes. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edan, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.